0: Welcome to Rooted and Unwavering, a podcast and radio show which features leaders from all walks of life in conversations about courageous connectedness. How do we stay connected to our best selves, especially when we are challenged? What becomes possible when we truly stay committed to our own and others' greatness, also when we don't feel it? Join host Hilke Faber, transformational coach, facilitator and award-winning author of taming your Crocodiles and his guests as they explore leadership greatness in today's episode of Rooted and Unwavering.
1: Well, welcome everyone. welcome everyone to this third episode of Rooted and Unwavering. Uh, we are broadcasting live from Phoenix from the Phoenix Business Radio X studio in actually Tempe, Arizona. Where we help leaders connect more deeply to their innate potential. I'm so grateful to be with you today, and also so grateful to be with my guest for today, Renee Yalkum. Renee, how are you today?
2: I'm great. How are you, yeah. okay.
1: I am really well, and in a moment I'll introduce you more. And before, I'm going to just center us a little bit more into the the purpose of of this series of rooted and wavering, which started really with this question of what is this work of transformation and leadership really about that we've been doing for the last 20 years? And what do we see as really as helpful in today's world? And, and this little word of connectedness came up. It's like, okay, what is it like to be truly connected to our best selves, especially when, when we don't feel like it? And where do we find the wherewithal to sometimes claw ourselves back into that better place, that wider place, that more heartfelt place, that place from which we have many more answers or many more questions. And we are maybe more peaceful, more compassionate, more in this moment. That is part of what this podcast is for. And I feel very fortunate to be able to speak with you to Rene today to, to learn more about your perspectives about connectedness and, and how we are able to connect to our best selves uh, no matter what happens, or maybe in the face of helping us to even become more connected. If you're listening, welcome everyone. Just take a moment to center yourself if you like and connect to yourself. And one way we can do that is just to notice the breathing in the body. That's a very simple way to just to get connected, just to notice the the breathing in the body. The breathing is always here. That's a wonderful way to remind us of what's always here, which is constant. My intention is to find ways to connect to what is constant within me and each of us. It may have something to do with love or peace or stillness. So we'll learn more about this in this episode. So I'm so grateful to introduce you, Renee, today. I met you several years ago now in a hotel ballroom. And I still remember, you know, it was early in the morning and we had a big group of people. It was your organization coming. We were together with a colleague of mine, uh, Patricio Campiani, who I learned a lot from. And he introduced us. And I still remember you standing there in front of that dark, still dark room. And just looking at your eyes, I knew, ah, here is a fellow traveler and somebody that I'm going to learn from and learn with and, and have very beautiful path with. And, and that's what happened. I, I remember still remember you opening that workshop. And I think it took you about 90 seconds and you had tears in your eyes. And that's part of your hallmark. That is something very beautiful. So in a, on a practical level, you're the executive vice president of customer and culture at Remitly. Remitly is a leading digital financial services provider enabling users to make person-to-person money transfers from uh, in over 135 countries around the world. And you have a very beautiful vision, uh, which i read is to transform the lives of millions of immigrants and their families by providing the most trusted financial services on the planet, beautiful, beautiful, connected purpose. You coming to this work at Remitly, uh, having served in Pearson and for a long, long time at Microsoft for 25 or maybe even more years in customer service, leading customer service functions. I read that you were in charge of about 25,000 people working in in customer service centers around the world. You bring to it international experience very big heart. Whenever I meet you, Renee, I want to say I feel taller, but that's maybe not even true. (laughs) I feel more human and more gentle. And that's one of the gifts you give me. So welcome, Renee.
2: Wow. Thank you, Helka. It's lovely to be here. I appreciate the intro, high expectation setting. So, And you feel taller because I'm five feet tall. You can't tell on Zoom, but
1: yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it is true there's a deep groundedness that i detect in you so let's talk about connectedness for a moment and for this next hour so i'd love to start with a word that i've heard you use from time to time that's also part of Remitli's values which is joy so what what brings you joy
2: yeah, I mean, I think we added joyful to our values a couple of years ago uh, at Remitly, and it's been kind of a profound change. It's as you can imagine. Hearing our mission, it's hard work and heavy work helping immigrants who are working so hard for their families and to send money back to their families and communities uh, all around the world. And so, um, and it's very technical work. It's very brain heavy. It's you know we have it's it's an engineering culture. Um, so there's both like head heavy and heart heaviness that is part of the uh, mission. And so when I came in, though, what I what I think was missing in our values was just this lightness. Like there is a joy, not pleasure all the time, but deep satisfaction in being able to do mission centered work and do it for customers who need us every single day to be advocates for them and to be looking out for them and to help serve them and and the more underdeveloped countries in in the world that from which they come and from which you know for which the remittance business is a huge part of the gdp's of these nations so so being able to just like relish the joy like take a moment in the heat of battle or in the places where we're failing our customers which we do sometimes right more than we want to and just take a step back and kind of go wow but i get to do this work every day every day i get to get up and do this work with other people who also want to do this work and and solve really hard technical problems and problems that make a difference for people. So so yeah, I think joyful is this like deeper, it's not just fun. It's not surface level. It it really is this deeper purpose-driven thing that motivates me every day. Like I get so much energy when I can just take that moment to think, you know. And I, I, I love that description of
1: Wow, taking a step back, also when Mm -hmm. things are not going exactly like we planned, which is quite often, I think, at least in my life, things don't go often the way I exactly planned, my little brain. How do you take time or how do you make that happen in the in the midst of what I know is very taxing job? Like it's it's (coughs) I I see your schedule and the, the the number of hours that you that you work and how do you how do you access that joy? How do
2: you connect to that joy? Well, it doesn't take long. It's not a time-bound thing, right? So I think, um, I mean, what I try to do is start each day in a peaceful, quiet way because there, I am in the like hurricane, like we all are probably right Uh, in the hurricane of work once you get in. So I do try to start with like an hour of just some peace and and I do a little bit of meditating. I do some reading of things that don't have anything to do with work that just sort of cleanse my mind and let me come in fresh, freshly. And that makes a huge difference um, how I come in to the day. And then what I try to do is just take, Honestly, this is the part that doesn't take time. I just try to take a minute, literally, between meetings because I do a lot of context switching in my in my role too, like very different topics and kind of say, who do I need to be? Like first breathe, I breathe in and out like eight times, which remarkably, I'm always surprised every time I do it, how much better I feel when I breathe. And then secondly, I just think, who do I need to be in this meeting? Like, do I need to make a decision? Do I need to just listen Do I need to just be present and be absorbing? Do I need to give some hard feedback um, in a kind way that's going to help the person grow? Um, I don't know. I'm just very thought, like I know what my purpose is in that meeting and it re centers my mind. And then I can go in and be thoughtful. You know, if I don't do that, if I rush in between, I make all kinds of mistakes. So,
1: yes, I love that deep ACE breathing and also, I love, I, I imagine you sitting in the morning, meditating or reading something. I think that's such a beautiful practice to, to take some time to almost like infuse that energy into the rest of your day, which I, I think. And then also that question you're saying about, like, who do I need to be in this moment? And who do I need to be in this moment? It's almost like a, a prayer in the way I hear that. Like, it's like it's, it, and, and then it comes to you. And it comes to you is what I'm sensing. That is, that is very beautiful in terms of how you're describing that. So you've been a leader for a little while or maybe quite a while. Actually quite a while now. So can you say a little bit about what you have been learning about connecting to yourself? And it may have evolved what you see as yourself, your true self over these years. But what you have noticed about connecting with yourself as a leader and uh, in these, in these years that you've been, been
2: leading and giving leadership to so many people? What have you noticed? It's a big question. I mean, there's, there's the, like a 30 second answer and there's like a 30 year answer, right? So yeah. I, um, but I think, you know, for me, the biggest learnings have been maybe on a couple of dimensions. One is uh, I'm the oldest of six kids, and yes, yeah, so I've been a leader since I was, whatever, 11 months old, and my first brother came into the world. But a lot of what I I think I learned in my childhood that helped me cope and were very good coping skills for a lot of the situations I found myself in as a child turned to, out to not be that constructive for me later as an adult so i very much thought i was loved for what i did for being the perfect child maybe this is an oldest child common thing but for being the perfect child for following the rules for getting great grades for you know achieving that that was the source of love of others towards me and i don't think that i felt intrinsically lovable and so i had to get like into my 40s like early 40s probably before i really centered on intrinsic motivation, not extrinsic, not trying to achieve in order to add things to my self-aware, you know, self-image, um, much more working on just centering in who I needed to be authentically. So that's that's kind of one dimension that took me some, a while to get to. I think I also thought there was a picture of, like in, in that intrinsic, I'll just say one more thing about that, or extrinsic motivation. I think I very much... Thought that was the perfect leader, the perfect manager. I became a manager at like 29. So, I, but I very much had this image of here's what a manager is, here's what a person is, and I kept those quite separate. I think I was afraid of connecting and getting too deeply involved with people in case I had to do hard things as a manager. All that was kind of theoretical, but I, I very much kept. I had my work persona, and I then I was who I was at home. Again, by my late 30s, early 40s, the effort of that and the dissonance like was too much and so i finally realized like i just have to be who i am and i'm going to have to be the kind of leader i am some people are going to like that some people are not but i i genuinely have to and continue to grow and learn it's not like oh who i am now is who i'm going to stay to be i i want to i want to grow all the time but i i definitely had to bring those together oh my gosh i'll just say life got so much easier at that point because i wasn't i i was using 20% of my bandwidth to be someone else right and so now i could use that 20% to focus on other people and not focus on myself which also was a key change and then i think you know we'll probably get into this more but i think all of life and all of work as well is fear versus love, right? And Helka, you and I, you've taught me a lot about this. You and I talk about it all the time, but I think in this dichotomy between fear and love, and at work, I think love is purpose. I think love is love, but sometimes it's unacceptable to talk about that in a work context. So love can be purpose. But I think that the more, and and we're human. So every day we fall into some fear. You feel fear, but do you react to it or do you really like recenter yourself Back on the purpose and the impact and that, that breathing and who do I need to be and what would grace do? I'll tell you about grace later, but, you know, I've got a few, few mantras that kind of help me recenter to purpose so that I'm not reacting out of fear, even though I feel it, you know, like we all do.
1: Oh, beautiful. There's so much in what you said there. I love the, the, (laughs) the transition that you talked about going from like this sense of extrinsic doer to the intrinsic beer. Not I am who I am and just take it or leave it, but like I am, this is who I am. And I'm I'm gonna cherish who I am and I'm gonna share that as a leader. That's what I that's what I heard. And I also heard the sense of well fear being and love and being very grounded and, and I see you like choosing again and again and again to not give in to the Fear-based seductions, and ground yourself into in love, which is so powerful. And, and then, I love how you translated that. Like, love in the West is such a word, but so much baggage. You know, it has so many connotations. And so, you know, I'd love that you have one translation of that as being purposeful, which I are intentional, which I love, which I love. And then grace. What would grace do? What would grace do? So. Let's talk a little bit about because I could imagine uh, people listening and including myself thinking like, how did she make that transition? Did that just happen, or how did that transition happen? Late thirties, early forties. What,
2: what what happened?
1: Well, can you talk about that? Your
2: sense of. I, I mean, I'd been through some personal challenges in you know marriages that didn't work out, and I I very much use that fertilizer and I'll probably use the word fertilizer like many times like you know the heart the hardness of life like wakes you up uh, and the discomfort of life wakes you up to things that you need to grow and change in so I think in my personal life that was happening I also had the great privilege of being able to move to London and work there for four years uh, for Microsoft which was just a <laughs> i'm I'm a math major so I put together this whole, like spreadsheet of reasons to move reasons to not move all very logical all very rational ultimately it's an apples to oranges experience you just kind of have to jump and I did jump I think if had I truly known how hard it was going to be the transition I might not have done it so I'm really glad I didn't know because it was this huge life-changing experience where I landed in a country where everyone I knew was not there and everyone there I did not know (laughs) and so it kind of like almost like you've come from a different planet. Right. And so, but it gave me the opportunity to uh, take a step back, learn and listen, and really think about how I wanted to show up there and what I wanted to learn. Um, and I think that was a like point of inflection in both myself and and becoming more authentic because I had to be, grounded in order to live in this world where I had no grounding. I had no I mean, even when I went grocery shopping, I didn't know the brands. I didn't like there's just, you know, so many things you even though, of course I spoke English, and that's super privileged that I could do that in, in uh, theoretically in that country, they speak a different version of English. And there also what they don't say is often more important than what they do say. And so learning to read the spaces and and all of that was like a huge education. Um, but I think there I became, I don't know. I think of myself more as a global citizen. I, I I'm no longer purely American. I'm certainly not British um, or European, but I'm not. I'm something in between. And I think that was a, a moment of inflection in my life, right? Of really having to find my own grounding inside because it wasn't anywhere external. Right. Right. I love that kind of a fresh
1: start, like a fresh start. I a fresh start. I relate to it actually. When I moved to Seattle from New York City. <laughs> I, I think that, that experience that you're describing is quite a similar because I remember that my mind had made up certain complaints about New York City why life wasn't quite working the way I wanted it. And I remember the first weeks I was living in Seattle, that sense of, huh, now it's really up to me. Like, how am I going to show up here? And then life didn't turn out perfectly. So going, going to your story about like moving to London those years back, What did you discover about yourself in the, you know, the British grocery stores or in the, in this completely different
2: surrounding? What did you discover about Renee? Ah, many things. I mean, I think I confronted loneliness in a way, like, um, the British people are lovely and some of my best, I mean, deep, deep lifelong friends, you know, there, but the first year was quite hard. I I don't know if it's an island mentality, but you're not really let in like, you know, quickly, like you kind of, um, you kind of have to earn your way into confidence uh, there. And so my first year was quite lonely. Like work was a salvation for me. The weekends were hard because I really was completely on my own. And so I had to come to peace with some loneliness. And I do think that's a human condition, and it, it, that by coming to peace with it and facing it and working through it, I no longer fear it. So I think I made a lot of decisions in my life prior out of fear of loneliness, right? Or fear of being alone. And so I think that's that's kind of one profound thing. A second second thing was tapping into my values, like my intrinsic values as a person, as a citizen. I was there, it was during 9-11 that I was there, it was like my first year. So observing America from the external perspective was really quite interesting and thinking about like what does it mean to me to be American you know I think for me it kind of got and and also being able to observe many different cultures and what it mattered to them to be French to be German to be uh, Russian Uh, I spent a lot of time in Eastern Europe there as well what it meant to be British and so I I I feel like it was a real grounding and just like the independence of being American and the value of pulling yourself up and all of those things, you know, were were, were good groundings for me too. The
1: independence of pulling yourself up. I, I love that sentence, like pulling yourself up. Like, and I'm thinking about what you said about the weekends, like, okay, here I am. So, and you said something about loneliness and the fear of that. So if you relate to that, to, to leadership and connecting to, you could say more of your authentic self or love and uh, facing your maybe fearful self, the, the sort of delusionary self, the illusionary self. It, this, that's appealed us a little bit because I think it's an important part of being a leader that we face mm-hmm. this fear of being alone. So mm-hmm. when you, before this, you could say realization in the UK, that you could handle it. What were
2: your thoughts about loneliness and how might it have informed how you led as a leader? Well, I think I was a pleaser, you know, so I I very much, and again, this is probably the oldest child thing, but but it, that translated into often pleasing up, you know, pleasing my bosses, pleasing, pleasing the establishment, whatever that was, finding ways to succeed by pleasing and and i i don't feel that i'm that anymore you know i think i'm willing to be controversial where it matters not for its own sake and i'm not necessarily a rebel but i'm very like grounded in what i think is right and unafraid to say and I, I you know i think that's both the beauty of facing loneliness because like loneliness you don't want isolation at work you want to be you know accepted you want to be part of the team overall and so how to, how to like earn yourself back into that while still being true to to who you are, are some things that i focused on. But I think aging has also, which I love, by the way, we can talk about that more too, but I love getting older, I'm 63, and just the power of really being grounded in who you are and not afraid so much of the loneliness or being othered by what other people may think of you. I just worry about that so little. Now, where I think I used to worry about that quite a bit, up until my midlife, probably. The the falling in love with the aging—I
1: love that the maturing, a part of that, which is also a way to connect more deeply to yourself, because we are all aging. We are all, all aging, so it's part of connecting to what is true, what is real about us. So, say a bit more about that aging. Like, what have you been learning? Aging, like what 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 do you enjoy about that
2: yeah i mean i i did this uh, i had some coaching in in my mid 40s around the same time because i think the other challenge in my life has been i i was not able to have children and so i hit this point like in my mid 40s where i i very much thought i don't know who i'm going to grow into when I get older. I kind of got afraid of being older, right? I'm not going to have children. I'm not going to have grandchildren. That was like a big realization that I hadn't really thought of earlier in my life. And so I did some exercises and work to just say, like, I didn't have a role model of Uh, women, especially or even older people that I wanted to aspire to be in my 60s. Like at that time, what I thought was old, right? 60s, 70s, 80s. I love my mother very much, but she had six children. Like she was not, her life was not going to be my life and I couldn't see a life around me. And so anyway, I did some work with the coach that helped me realize just like letting out the inside of me being bigger and thinking of who I wanted to be 20 years from now, and I named her Grace, like my future self is named Grace. And and she just keeps aging ahead of me, even now. She's in her 80s. And I very much think, what would Grace do in this situation? What would the bigger version of myself do in this situation? I was able to kind of visualize that. And I think she has been this thread kind of pulling me forward uh, for the last more than 20 years. And and it just continues, she continues to grow, and I continue to aspire to grow into her as well. So glad that you're
1: introducing Grace to us today. So what's Grace teaching you today or in these days about, well, that's, what's te- that's period. What's teaching Grace you today? I don't want to frame it
2: more than that. Yeah, I think, I think Grace is a very good listener and she's very warm and approachable. And she also doesn't judge right? Like she doesn't judge people. So there's a safe, safe space, but also an honest space, right? Like she's unafraid to be who she is and say what she's thinking while first listening to others always, and coming from a place of knowing people are good. And how do you help them be even better if that's what they want to be? Right. And a lot of that is just by showing up and listening and being very attentive and warm and approachable, but not not cut, not soft and cuddly or grandmotherly, like I very much have an edge as well. And, and I think I accepted that I can preserve that edge and use it for good. Um, and so how I bring together, we have two values at Remitly, one is empathetic partnership and the other is constructively direct. And I think living in the space of bringing those both together, being kind and direct Um, is something that Grace does in my mind really well and she challenges me to do very well. So getting in a place of cleansing my own intentions so that I can really focus on the other person and listen, but also be unafraid to speak my truth and help hold people accountable to their truths as well. I love that, that empathetically, like really empathetic listening and
1: being constructively Direct, being an empathetic partner and constructively direct—that's a beautiful juxtaposition. Um, I'm going to take a break in a moment. I think after the break, what I would love to hear more about is maybe an example where grace has guided you through a challenge where you found a way to maybe integrate those two seeming polarities between, you know, being an empathetic partner and being constructively direct, and really connecting to something to something deeper. So let's take a break and uh, we'll be back in a second uh, with uh, the second part of this conversation with Renee Yalkum. Thank you. You are listening to Rooted and Unwavering, presented by Growth Leaders Network,
0: the leadership, team and culture development company. If you would like to learn more about working on connectedness for yourself, your team
1: or organization, please contact Growth Leaders Network on LinkedIn. And now, back to the show. So this conversation about construct like being constructively direct and empathetic partnership. So so far in this podcast, in conversation, Renee, we've been talking about like what is it like to be connected? Uh, you've been talking about maturing this this shift between intrinsic uh, and extrinsic motivation. And then just towards the tail end, we got to really meet Grace a little bit. Uh, and actually, actually I brought tears to my eyes when I heard about it. Something in about you sort of fell into place. It's like, ah, oh, like this person that is 20 years ahead of me in terms of time, mentoring me all the time. And then you exemplifying that and then sharing that with others. Uh, that's a very powerful image that, uh, that I'm definitely going to, look into for myself as well. And maybe listeners will do that as well. It's very, very beautiful to to find that. So maybe you can share about an example of where you might have felt challenged as a, as a leader at Remitly, uh, because that's where you um, touched on those values, being an empathetic partner and being constructively direct. Maybe think about like, what was a challenge you were facing without, divulging confidential information, but just something that you might be able to share that we can all learn from, because I'm sure
2: all of us face that polarity. Like, how do we do this? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, this is the opposite of confidential. I mean, we've all gone through, you know, COVID over the last several years. And I mean, again, talking about fertilizer for growth, I mean, this has been, you know, in my life, some of the hardest times to both be a person but also be a leader, especially. And um my my CEO and who's also my dear friend, Matt Oppenheimer, is amazing, um, absolutely amazing. And I think, you know, having his partnership is I led I led people and I also led our customer support teams through this time and our customer support teams are spread all over the world and we're suffering disproportionately as well because they're, where they're in Manila, they're in Managua, Nicaragua, they're in Colombia, they're in India. um, And, you know, definitely suffering disproportionately to how we were suffering in the United States. So thinking of all that kind of fear, surrounded by fear, right? So fear in the, in the environment, fear of politics, fear at work, fear in, in people's personal lives, fear of, you know, just the like basic needs of health, your health being safe and your children being safe. And so like these were some of the like hardest leadership times for me. And I'm sure many of you have felt that way as well. Um, I I think I luckily, again, I had the partnership of Matt and we spent a lot of time together thinking we cannot be limited by our containers here, right? Like our own personal container, uh, like because some days you would just think I can't take anymore. I can't, I can't. I can't take the weight of other people's fear or worries on myself anymore, but you have to. (laughs) Like, you know, I think people were very much, our employees were very much looking to our leadership um, team overall because we weren't getting great leadership in our political environments or in every country in the world uh, even the political leaders were 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 staggeringly suffering, right, and unsure what to do. And so people looked more to work for leadership than maybe they ever have in their lives. And so you had to rise to that occasion, right? And so Matt and I, did, you know, did meditation together. We talked a lot. We supported each other. We just knew we had to keep growing our containers every day in order to be bigger, so that we could support our people and ourselves, right? And so. I think that has been a time of. I also think we had to be honest with our people. Like I, people hated the ambiguity and the fear and they wanted answers. And there really weren't any answers except to go through it together with confidence. Uh, another thing, maybe, about being older is I know things get worse and then things get better. And even the good times don't last forever. So get the juice out of every good time, but don't worry about the bad times as much because they won't last forever either. And I think something about that peaceful confidence was useful and helpful to our teams and grounding to our teams. Um, So that was good. But I think being both uh, empathetic but not ruinously empathetic, right? Like being being constructively direct about, hey, this, there's no answers here. Like we're all in this together. There's ambivalence and fear in this situation and we're gonna have to like get through it together. That's so not so naming it and not not trying to paper over it and not trying to just wallow in the feelings either, trying to be constructive to move the business forward. And we have the joy and good fortune and purpose to be able to focus on our customers, who, again, were suffering disprop- disproportionately to us. And I think that focus let us take ourselves out of our own fear and give back. And that gave us strength, right? All of us at the company. So so anyway, I think it's a place where both empathy and being constructively direct together made it a big difference on a macro level in, at the company. I love that.
1: I <laughs> uh, think you are able to be constructively direct by saying, we don't have the answer and this is really hard. Uh, and then supporting each other, you and, and Matt and I'm sure others on your leadership team and your colleagues uh, supporting each other and then not caving into this, oh, what's happening with me, but actually being a container for, for, for all, of, all of you, all of you. and. Um, can, I, I am I am curious about like how practically that showed up. Like, can you give an example of how practically that showed showed up? Because you know, people might not be aware as much of what might have been a situation for people in Managua or in other places. You know, the Philippines. Uh, what, what 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 were some of the, the challenges people were facing there? That we I mean we meaning I I'm in the west. You know, I'm calling you from Phoenix today that we might not be aware of. And then how did you, as Remitly, as you as Renee, you as leadership team, interact with that? How did you interact and what did you learn from that?
2: Yeah, I think there was a real, there was a real balance, especially in the customer uh, service and customer support world, and this was not unique to Remitly, of having to balance taking care of your people, you know, in lockdown situations where they couldn't get into the office safely anymore and perhaps didn't have the infrastructure or support to be able to work from home in some of the countries that we operate our con- contact centers in. So that was kind of one thing, how do you balance taking care of your people and making sure they're safe with still serving your customers who actually needed to send money back home even more than before they were they were continuing to work and their families needed medical help and support uh, back home as well. So the it felt like the consequences of the remittance business were even higher in those days, right? And so, you know, there were times when we just couldn't serve our customers. We had to put a lot of work into our self-help engines, into, you know, other ways to serve our customers so while we could still protect our customer, our employees. Mm-hmm. So I think showing empathy to our employees and then finding ways to get them back to work because they wanted work and purpose as well. I think the world was quite different in Manila. Like, it's such a densely populated place, people living in very multi-generational family situations. And so there was a lot of fear of even young people who work in our contact centers infecting their grandparents and parents and right. So and and their children, nobody yet understood, and we still don't, you know, what the impact, full impact on children is. So that was fear. I think in Managua was quite interesting and um not an expert in the politics there, but they basically pretended like it wasn't happening. Uh they they you know, denied that COVID was in their country at all. And that created this immense fear in our employees because they knew it was, but didn't have any place to go and their government wasn't helping them or giving them any guidance at all. And so we became even more of an anchor for our people there and helping them with safety measures and, you know, taking care of them as well, making sure we helped them get vaccinated as soon as we could, like just all kinds of things that, you know, we leaned in to really help our employees more. So, and then I think that that drove some very you know constructive conversations with our teams in the United States and other in the, in London and uh, we're in Krakow we're in Cork, Ireland as well. Where you know we we had the privilege of being more protected and safe and being able to work from home, and again, just you know being able to bring that privilege to support other people, both our own employees in other places, but especially our customers too. The word care, this jumps off at me. Like
1: that's one of the words that I associate with you, like a deep care for the people that you work with uh, that transcends your personal interest big time. That, and that may have something to do with grace that coaches you to, to be that big, that, that vast. So I'd like to switch the, the conversation a little bit and, and talk a little bit about disconnectedness disconnectedness because at least for me it is quite easy to feel disconnected from myself from people around me from what is true it, it's like something that i'm quite well trained in you could say and so i'm curious about your experiences or with with being disconnected what is it like when you don't feel connected when you feel disconnected and how are you working with that? And you've already said some things
2: about that. Maybe you can expand a little bit. I think for me, it happens when I give in to fear. That happens all the time, right? You can give in to fear, but for how long do you let yourself stay in a fearful state? That's, that's when I feel most disconnected or maybe when my container just isn't big enough. Like I need a break, right? Like I'm not, I need to take care of myself as a part of, of being able to help be effective in my job and in my life. And so I think the combination of fear and fatigue, maybe, right, um, make me pull aside a bit. And so, and and I, I always have to kind of get back to this joyful, I mean, the thing that helps me reconnect is just, well, a little bit of exercise is useful. I've been doing that as much as I need to. So, I bought this aura ring now. Hopefully, it will help reminding me where I'm not. I'm not getting enough movement because movement helps me a lot. Like recenter myself, breathing, and just recentering on joyful purpose. Like I, you know, I think a, another beautiful thing about aging is. You just become like profoundly aware of how much time is left. Like I, I don't know how many more years I'm gonna, you know, be working at the pace that I work today. I don't know how many hopefully many more years I can keep my brain and my body active and alive where I can continue to have impact and even more impact in the in the world around me and and continue to grow. But you don't know, right? Like I I don't know uh, how much longer. And so that gives me a sense of urgency to kind of get back. Get back focused on on my impact and being centered in joyful work that both makes me happy and brings impact and purpose more broadly. I don't know how many how many more years, and that's
1: of course true for all of us. Depend no no matter on like what age we have. I think of a friend of of ours who's in the in the current state of passing, and uh, yeah, it really puts things in perspective. And what I love about what you're saying is that it helps you to feel more immediately connected to your purpose. Like let's make an impact now. Let's not wait. Let's connect to what is really purposeful and joyful is what I'm hearing you saying is true for you. There's there's one practice you introduced me to in a a meeting we had recently where we did this check-in about gratitude. So talk a little bit about how gratitude, is helping you to be connected, and what's the impact of that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I do think gratitude brings joy and recentering, right? And so we we actually close all of our leadership team meetings um, weekly with uh, gratitude in a circle, um, either gratitude for the person. To your right, uh, like what it is you're grateful for them or what you appreciate about them, gratitude about the team in general, like we'll have different kind of elements of gratitude, but it just makes you leave the meeting with such a different sense of peace and focus and, and uh, appreciation, feeling appreciated, and also the beauty of appreciating others um, puts you in a certain mindset, right? So I think that is a really good practice that's helped us bond as a team, but also helps us leave our meetings able to give more to others because we've been re-energized by that appreciation and gratitude.
1: So what happens when the meeting doesn't go well? And the person sitting towards your right that you're expressing gratitude for just <laughs> said something or did something, you're like,
2: oh <laughs> even more, even more so, right? So in this, in this period of or in this like balance of partnership and constructively direct and for us like it's you know customer centric customer centricity is our most important value at the center of everything that we do and a lot of what we spend our time on as a leadership team are the places where we're not serving our customers well enough and how do we need to improve and grow and facing that head on which is hard and humbling uh, and difficult and difficult conversations happen all the time in our leadership team meetings but again with with uh empathy with appreciation for the other person, and constructive out of truly trying to bring the truth to the forefront to help each other grow and help us grow the business and help us serve our customers more. So every meeting has some hard topics. It always does. And But we have come together. I mean, this is one of the best. Like You end up with these super teams, and it doesn't happen very often in your life, but I mean, maybe four or five times in my life now, I've been had the privilege of being a member of a super team and I'm definitely in that stage, that lucky, lucky stage right now where we're focusing very much on being a first team, uh, which means we 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 don't necessarily, we, we come together for the good of the company and we put our own needs aside and even the own needs of our own teams to advocate for them aside so that we're making decisions collectively to the best for the whole company. And that trust that you build, that vulnerability and trust that you build with a leadership team, I think is helping us bring um, much better products and services and growth for our customers, and better employee experiences for our people as well.
1: So connecting as a team, basically, uh, on in an energy of appreciation and truthfulness is what I sa- heard you say, and listening is part of it. What else would you say has contributed to this team being a super team, being a very deeply connected team, maybe an extension from the connectedness practices you've been doing for yourself?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing and maybe the biggest differentiator from any other teams I've been on and that we have consciously worked on this is leading with vulnerability. So we don't come in touting The great things that we're doing in our own businesses, or the, you know, selling the new program or something that we want to drive. We really come in with each other, treating the leadership team as a wisdom council. We've been using uh, some practices around the thinking environment, uh, which is based on some work by Nancy Klein that I highly recommend. It's really, really great work that has helped transform us over the last almost two years that we've been doing this work together. Um, But we come in with, you know, treating this, our, our leadership team as a wisdom counsel to say, here's the biggest problem I'm facing or problems I'm facing. I This is what's keeping me up at night in my business. I don't think it's going very well. I don't entirely know how to solve it. It's my accountability to solve it. So I, I still am, you still need to hold me accountable to fix problem X with our customer service or problem Y with our employee experience. But these are big grappling problems that I would like your feedback on. I'd like to hear from each of you about what would you do in my shoes or what have you seen done in these kinds of situations? What advice would you give me? Then it's my job to take that advice or not take it. You know, that's all interesting advice and I don't have to follow it. I still am accountable to make the decisions, but I feel very much like I'm not hiding my problems. You know, as a leader, I'm coming in with what the problems are. And we collectively, gather around each other to help solve big problems for the company together. And then we have equity in each other's solutions um, and support. It's a very supportive, but also very challenging environment, right? In order for each of us to raise our game to be better, we uh, openly say what we think is going well in the other person's business or area of focus and how we think it could be even better. And that that information and directness is so cleansing, right? And hard, hard sometimes to hear, but very bonding because when you lead with vulnerability, you know, you can rely on that team, right?
1: I could talk with you about this for an hour. This is just beautiful. So uh, going a little deeper in this, being in those leadership team meetings, how did you and your team develop that confidence to be vulnerable? Like I can imagine people holding back and saying, well, I'll be on a scale from one to ten, about a two or three today. But how? Do, my sense is you're way up the scale in terms of vulnerability. Like, and then the wisdom council being like the grace council for each other. Like, wow, this is this is
2: very powerful. So, say more about that. We had a coach, Jonathan Bowman Perks, who's been helping us through the thinking environment. So, I think the thinking environment gives you some elements for listening, diversity. We there's an equality, element. there's 10 components of the thinking environment. I encourage you to just Google yes. the thinking environment. You'll see the ten, 10 components, but one is attention. The belief is by listening and giving people your full attention, the group will come up with ideas better in building on each other. The group will come up with ideas better than any one individual can. And then by giving people an equal amount of time. So we we often do these rounds that are what's going well, um, how could it be even better? And in two minutes, everybody gets two minutes to kind of give their perspective. That way you don't have a few people dominating or what we used to call ping pong. Like we'd have conversations that were just a couple of people going back and forth and having a discussion and everyone else sort of observing. And instead now everyone participates and it brings our voice of diversity, quality, you know, to the table, which has helped us come to much better because the people who are quieter, often had the very best things to say, right? Uh, That whole listening that we do across the whole company and is not hierarchical um, and is is really good. But I do think what you said is right. I think you have to lead with, someone has to start setting the level set of vulnerability. And I, I think Matt is really good at this. He's quite vulnerable and open. I mean, he shares his development plan with the whole company. Like he shares his 360 feedback with the whole company. Who does that? I mean, that is the ultimate vulnerability, right? And so he leads with that. And that gives us all the courage. And I, I feel like I play a role there as well in making sure I'm leading with vulnerability. And then that starts providing safety for other people to do it. And then the more we know and trust each other, the deeper we can get in that. So right. yeah, it's conscious. It's conscious vulnerability. It's not an accident. It's, right? it's very conscious. It's like
1: fierce. I'm, And I see it as a practice you've been doing with the team and with Jonathan for a while. And so it's really starting to bear fruit. You mentioned the word cleansing, cleansing to be that vulnerable, even it's hard. You can imagine like, like, oh, I'm going to connect with others and with myself by sharing my problems, what I haven't figured out. Can you say a bit more about how that is cleansing?
2: Well, I think you feel a shared burden, right? Like it doesn't all feel like it's all on you. I also think you don't feel like you have to be performative. I, I think our culture is so performative today, but maybe it always has been. And I just noticed it a bit more um, as I try to move away from being performative and try to be authentic. I mean, I, I remember Microsoft and, oh my gosh, I mean, my time at Microsoft was amazing. And I'm so lucky for the time that I had there and grateful. And I gave a lot, and I got a lot. Um, it was a good deal on both sides, I would say. I think the company got a lot for me, and I certainly grew tons there. We had uh, training sessions there around managing up, like how to manage your perception to people above you. Like That is the opposite of what we're trying to do here, where we don't want to manage up, right? there. And so there's something so freeing and cleansing about just being able to be yourself and not not try to be performative and truly get help and then let the outcomes and results speak for themselves, right? Um, And maybe part of that is where I am in my career too. I know I have a lot of privilege in my career, both where I am on the senior leadership team, but also just where I am being an older person that I just don't care about some of the extrinsic things as much as maybe I did when I was in my 30s, right? And that has given me cleansing freedom to be able to be more vulnerable and authentic and more outcome-focused in my work, too. So
1: I'm, I'm sensing this a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a theme in your journey, <laughs> that you found this vulnerability going from extrinsic to intrinsic, and now also in the team that you're working on, practicing that together, uh, that cleansing of, okay, well, here it is. Here it is. And and let's sit with that together. Um, as we're getting towards the final minutes of our time together, Renee, what would you like to say to people who are listening that may be thinking about, huh, how do I develop more connectedness with myself or m- with my team and especially those people that might be in a situation where that might feel very,
2: very daunting right now? I mean, we've been talking about, you know, the deeper the deeper connection, I think it can be, it can sound kind of woo woo, like what are you really doing? Right? You're just sitting around being vulnerable. But I do think it's this the, the finding a way to integrate. Like I would say, in the early part of my career, the first 20 years of my career, I was, or 15, I was very head heavy, very, very head heavy, right? I edited myself. I thought a lot. I used a lot of my bandwidth on just being in my head and being in my own head. Um, and I feel like I've found a way now to connect my heart and my gut, my instincts as my instincts get better and better, maybe maybe my brain gets a little worse, but my instincts are getting better and better, and based on pattern recognition and and uh, and just life experience. And so being able to bring together my math brain and my, you know science side of me with my heart, which is getting richer and fuller with through life with my gut, which is also getting much more tuned up and those like finding ways to integrate those three things. So it's one package. You learn to trust yourself a lot more and not overthink. So I don't know if that's really advice. I think some of it is just like going through, you know, honestly, there are not a lot of shortcuts in my experience. Like you have to just go through hard things and what the beauty of what's on the other side is remarkable. And once you do that a few times, you're a little less afraid to go through. It's still scary, but you're a little less afraid to go through because you know there's some richness and learning that's on the other side of whatever challenge you're facing, right? My sense, Renee, is
1: you've been going through quite a few times in your life. How does one go
2: through, maybe as a last question for our conversation, yeah. I mean, I think you, actually, Helke, you you taught me a lot about this in in many situations where looking at problems and challenges as fertilizer, <laughs> like true and being able to say, take a step back from what's hard in a moment. And instead of getting all wrapped up in the motions of what's hard, just pull back and go, okay, there's going to be some learning here. Like there's going to be, yes, this is hard. And yes, I'm privileged in a lot of ways to face whatever this thing is that's hard. And how do I just force myself to not go around it? There's all kinds of coping mechanisms that you can use that help you go around it, whether that's denial, distraction, drugs, like there's just all kinds of things you can use to, to not have to go through. But when you do just go, okay, I've got to like look this thing in the eye and go through it, there's a purity of walking through that fire. And it's very hard the first time. And then it gets easier because again, you know, it's not interminable. It will, you will get through it. And on the other side is some learning, some growth, some deeper connection with people who've also gone through that, that builds empathy. That's like real empathy, you know, genuine empathy. So the beauty of what's on site uh, on the other side makes it almost impossible to start going around anymore like i kind of can't go around anymore right the beauty
1: of of going through to, to connect to what's truly meaningful purposeful joyful beautiful there's something worthwhile on the other side thank you for sharing that with us today renee and uh, really appreciated your heartful sharing Uh, As always in our conversation today, I I very much enjoyed it. There was so much in what you said. A few highlights for me were getting to know grace, not only in you, but maybe in myself and all of us. Thinking about that person that's a few years ahead with wisdom, Uh, the power of vulnerability, the power of moving through, and uh, the power of this choice over and over of like, where am I coming from today? Is that... Coming from more fearful or more purposeful, loving thoughts and trusting that. And also, I love that you said constructively direct. And my mind went, now she's going to share about answers. And you said, saying, I don't know. And that being so powerful. So thank you for sharing that. Can't thank you enough. Everybody for listening, thank you so much for joining us and rooted and wavering. If you enjoy this conversation and you'd like to go a little deeper, we have monthly Zoom gatherings on LinkedIn. Uh, just look for Rooted and Wavering Community Calls. Also, we have our next podcast. You can subscribe to Rooted and Wavering podcast. The next podcast is on September 12th, I believe. I may have the date wrong. And we'll be speaking with Erika Schaper, the chairman of the board of NHL standing University of Applied Sciences in the Netherlands. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Renee, for listening. Thank you, Renee, for sharing. And I appreciate so much everyone being here today. You've been listening to Rooted and Unwavering, where we help leaders to connect more deeply to their innate potential. I'm your host, Joko Faber. See you next time. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us in today's episode of Rooted and Unwavering, leadership conversations about courageous connectedness. Presented by the leadership development company, Growth Leaders Network. To learn more, subscribe to this podcast, connect with Growth Leaders Network and Hilka Faber on LinkedIn, or read Hilka's award-winning book, Taming Your Crocodiles. Now take a moment and appreciate something that is great about you. Celebrate the gift that you are and enjoy connecting more deeply to your best self today. See you next time on Rooted and Unwavering.